I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of 1 John. 1 John, we're really dealing with the topic, the topic of salvation uh, and uh, genuine saving faith and what that is, what it's like. And then we're just evaluating ourselves uh, as Scripture has commanded us to do. We want to use this as a key verse, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's the doctrinal test. Those who believe in the Son of God. So that you may know, that's confidence, know that you have eternal life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to expound this word. What a precious thing it is to have what you have spoken to us that we are responsible to know. And Lord, may we understand it. Pray for illumination of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then, Lord, may we apply these things to our life. May we look into this mirror and then see what needs to change on in our life and then go out and change those things. Bless our time together in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Satan has done a, a, a good job, I believe, in... Uh, redefining what Christianity is. Uh, he has seem, seemingly has dismantled our culture, at least it was somewhat based upon Christian principles, and he's kind of rebuilding it uh, and taking God out and putting in a different kind of God, a God that is more tolerant, accepting of sin, accepting of behaviors that that we would say, no, that is not scriptural. And we have a, a day that Christianity is uh, accepting of a, a adultery and abortion, homosexuality and even gossip. And, and it's a brand of Christianity that is not consistent with Scripture, doesn't line up with Scripture at all. And as a result, we have, I believe, in this country, we have a lot of people that claim to be Christians that are just not Christian. There's a there's a counterfeit Christianity uh, that Satan has produced. Now, this is not anything new, and Christ even predicted it. He told us that there's going to be goats among the sheep. There's going to be tares among the wheat. We could just expect that. Uh, in fact, in a passage that was allude, alluded to earlier in uh, John chapter 10, uh, maybe Justin mentioned this in Sunday school, but John chapter 10 Christ said that in verse 26 to 27, he says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. There's a, a strong distinction, a separation, if you will, of those who are God's sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's that's clear. There, there's going to be something distinct about God's children and we're looking for that distinction. That's what we want to know so we can evaluate ourselves properly. Again, in John chapter 15, in verse 8, Christ said, My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit. Again, that's what separates the unbeliever from the believer. They bear fruit. The believer bears fruit. And so, he says, prove to be my disciple. There's proof. Proof. The bearing of fruit. 
But what you have in today's Christianity, you have a, a bunch of hangers on, if you will. Kind of a loose tie to Christ. They, they claim to follow Christ, but don't actually follow Christ. They do so with lip service only. Now, I'm just like any other pastor. I would like to, to fill our church with, with people. We can widen, we can be as wide and, and accepting and open with the gospel as we want to be and, and bring people into the kingdom. Uh, but, uh, but the reality is, is that God says that narrow is the way. There's only one gospel, there's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. Narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. In fact, what we see in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, uh, Jesus again speaking here, he says, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, uh, he says, and then... I will declare to them, depart from me. I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's going to be some who hang on, who think they are believers, and he's going to, they're going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. You're, you're not a part of me at all. And, and so we want to go into eternity with confidence, knowing that uh, we are secure in our faith. And Paul, Paul exhorts us to test our faith. Uh, we've been looking at that in the past few weeks. To test our faith. To see if we are in the faith or not. And John then gives us in his gospel. First John. He gives us a, um, a list of things. In which we can examine ourselves. To be able to test our faith. In first John. In the gospel of. Or I'm sorry. In the, in the epistle of John. And through the process, we're learning about salvation. We, we want to know what salvation is. Uh, what does Scripture say it is? Not what our culture says or tradition says or, or what we feel in our heart that it is, but what does Scripture say? Scripture has to guide us in this because it's, it's a matter of the heart. We have to know. And what we have found that salvation is a work of God. It is a work of God in our heart. Christ said, you are to be born again. If you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. That is, in the Old Testament, Christ, God says, that He will someday uh, take out a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That's a heart that loves God. That's a heart that's soft toward God. Now, that's man's real problem, is his heart. And God knows exactly what that uh, that He needs. First is to replace the old stony heart with a new heart that loves Him. And then number two, He said, I will implant, I will put My Spirit within you. And He promised that in the Old Testament. And we see that promise being fulfilled in the New Testament, in the church. And those two things make the believer distinct. It's called being born again. And it makes this clear distinction between us and the world. It's because when God gets a hold of a life, folks, things change. We have to understand that. And it comes from our connection with God. Now, that's where 1 John comes in. The very beginning of 1 John, he makes that clear 
in verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, that is Christ. We have seen him, we've heard him, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son. He's bringing us in. We're part of that fellowship. We're part of that connection with God. And John is writing this to shore up the believer's faith. Now, he wrote his gospel to the unbeliever to bring the believer into saving faith. And he's writing this epistle to shore up the believer's faith so that we can walk into eternity with confidence. And you'll see that word time and time again in 1 John. There's going to be evidence of God God at work. If God is, is working, there should be evidence. Now, in the early church, and this is why John is writing this, the early church, they were people that were leaving the church. And it was concerning to those uh, those believers uh and, and John had to address this issue because he said uh, that they were leaving the church. But he, he says in chapter 2 and verse 19, he said, They went out from us because they were not really of us. For if they would have been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out because they were not of us. Now, that's, that's concerning. That's an issue of heart. We have, to, we have to evaluate ourselves. We have to say, are we in the faith? Will we just walk away? Or will we have assurance? And that raises a question of assurance in our own life. And that's what we're wanting to do here. And as we, as John goes through, it's a little awkward to, to read because he will pick up little statements, uh, little pithy statements of faith, doctrinal statements, little quotes uh, maybe catechisms from the early part of the church. He's probably writing in about 90 to 95 A.D. And this is the old uh, Apostle John. He is the only Apostle that is still left. And so he's, he's quoting these, this earlier time at the formation of the church. And again, he's shoring up their, their salvation, shoring up their assurance of salvation. And he does so by, by making these little quotes. And it's, that's why it's a little harder to read. But it's, it brings a sharp contrast between the believer and the unbeliever. Those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. Those who are Christians and those who are non-Christians. And I want you to notice there's no halfway. There's, there's no, well, he's a Christian but he hasn't really received the Spirit yet. There's, there's none of that. There's no, well, I'm still, I'm a Christian, but still living in the flesh. I'm a Christian, but I'm just rebellious. No. No, there's saved and unsaved. That's what we see in Scripture. Now, it's a matter of the heart, and sometimes it's hard to know, and we have to evaluate. We have to evaluate these things. And the key here is faith. Is faith. We live by faith. Christians live by faith. And that's our, our most basic principle that we've been, overarching principle that we've been seeing, that, that biblical faith is not a one-time act, but it is a consistent lifestyle. That we live out our faith. It's a, a practice in our life. Christians live by faith. So the question is, is how, how can we be certain? And John, First John here, he gives us 11 points of evaluation. We've looked at a couple of them. 
11 points of evaluation. We're taking the word of God in one hand and a mirror in the other hand, evaluating ourselves, comparing it to the word of God and say, how do we how do we measure up? How do we know for sure? The first one, the first uh, four, actually, is uh, is is uh, because of our relationship with God. There's a connection with God. Once that connection is made, a lot of things happen. The first thing we see, the first principle, is that a true believer will enjoy fellowship with the Father and the Son. And with, as well as the, the whole family of God. What God does is He sheds His love abroad in our heart, Paul says. And we have a new passion. A new love for God. A love for His Word. A love for His people. A love for his business, the church. We love what he loves and hate what he hates. And this is being born again. That's what it is. It's a new life, new desires, new passions, new affections. That's what it is to have a new heart. And that new love translates into devotion and obedience to the Father. And in number two, we saw that a true believer has the ministry of the Holy Spirit. An indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the Bible says that his spirit is is placed within the believer's heart. Now, we saw even in Sunday school last week, we saw that the ministry of the Holy Spirit means, number one, is that there's illumination of the of the spirit of the uh, the word of God. He helps us to understand this word, these spiritual things that are spiritually prayed. And then number two, he produces fruit in our life. Now, now this is a, a huge distinction between the word between the world this is one of the sharpest distinction that we will see in scripture that the world does not have the spirit in fact paul will point out that the world is still living in the flesh but we have the spirit of god and it's a huge distinction now i want you to turn over because i want to go through this a little more slowly than we did last week but galatians chapter 5 galatians chapter 5 and and uh, verse 14, and I want us to understand what it is to, to continue to live in the Spirit. We need to understand this because we're evaluating our own self, and we need to, we need to have an accurate view of ourselves because it's natural to be in the Spirit. Or, I'm sorry, to be in the flesh. It's a natural thing. We're born in our sinful flesh, and we stay in our sinful flesh unless God gets a hold of our life and changes us. We just stay that way. We have the desires of the flesh, the Bible says. So let's look through some of these. In chapter 5 and verse 19, just the one verse. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Now, the deeds, the flesh produces these things. This is not a a list of sins that we would go through. The the flesh is producing these things. Um, And these are matters of the heart. And it's... And it's like smelling a dirty diaper. It's like something you don't want to do. You, you just go through this and you just feel dirty. It just a, 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 it's, it's like poison that, that's uh, poisoned a tree and you just begin to see the effects of that at my mother-in-law's house. Several, several of her apple trees, I, we don't know, maybe they've been poisoned. It seems like they've been poisoned. And you can tell because of the, the effects it has on these trees. They just They all die. And we don't know what exactly is going on there. But we can see the evidence of the poison. You can smell the dirt. You can smell the, the dirty diaper here, if you want to 
compare it to that. This is the root poison, and it will work its way out. It starts in the heart and will work its way out. And folks, this is a picture of our day. It really is. Let's look at some of these. Let's look at all of these. There's 15, and we'll try to move through these quickly. Immorality is the first one. That starts in the mind, and this is a, this is actually sexual immorality. It starts in the mind. It's, it's just unrestrained lust in, in the mind, but it works its way out in, into um, sexual activities outside of the bounds of marriage. It could be, it's a wide variety of things, but it's just sexual uh, immorality. Number two is impurities. This is just uncleanness. And again, the fruit is produced, the flesh is producing this. It's just uncleanness, just contaminated mind. A dirty mind, we, we might say. Uh, thinking just on a base level of lust, of greed, of selfishness, of dirty, uh, just a dirty fleshly mind. Number three, sensuality. This is excesses, excesses, lasciviousness. This is a, a heart, a sense that will never be satisfied. And that's what we see in the world, isn't it? A heart that just craves everything. They, everything is to excess. And you see idolatry, number four. Idolatry, the worship of of anything other than God, and the idol is a is a I'm sorry, the heart is a an idol factory. We just produce idols. We worship everything, but the but the God who created us. Then you have sorcery, sorcery, and this is an, a really interesting word because it, it's essentially the word for for drug or drugs, but it's also the word for spells and 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 witchcraft. And it's a combination of those ideas, and it's just a, a bewitching or under a spell. And essentially, it's just a, a, a supernatural uh, imaginations of the, of the mind, and it's an alteration of, of uh, the reality within the mind. You can do it by drugs, you can do it by witchcraft, and getting into this supernatural realm. The flesh gravitates toward that kind of thing. Then you have enmities. The word actually means odiousness. Just it stinks. It stinks. It's it's unpleasant to be around. Nobody wants to smell that. Nobody wants to be around that. They dis things that we dislike, and that's just what the flesh produces. These things. It's it's hatred. Have you ever been around someone that just hates everything? You don't want to, you don't want to be around them. It's just, it's just, uh, gross. Or, or they're just bitter. And there's this gossip, all this gossip, or pride. Nobody wants to be around that. That's enmity. Then strife, that's wranglings, uh, agitations, conflicts. Then you have jealousies. Jealousies. Want stuff they cannot have. Um, and most of the time, it's a contamination of the heart in that there, there's a hatred for those who have the things that they can't have. <laughs> and it's, we see it in this class warfare, all the rich, boy, they, they're just terrible people in class warfare. Number nine, outburst of anger, explosive, uncontrolled passion. That's hot anger, wrath. Number ten, disputes. And this is, this is just self-seeking ambitious rivalry kind of thing uh, that um, that uh, dispute arises 
because I want my way. Do we ever see that? Especially in kids. Do you ever see that in your family? I want my way. Dissensions. Literally, to stand apart, standing apart, or, or broken relationships, we might say. And I'm not going to talk to you because I'm mad at you. I'm going to punish you. That's the idea. Factions, number 12. The word is just opinions or, or heresies, bad opinions. Uh, and it's a, essentially a, a breaking a relationship because I want to hold to this false teaching. Faction. And then envying. Is, uh, is wanting something you, you just you can't have. Other people have it. You want it. But it, it's, it's really the corruption of the heart. The emphasis here is on the corruption of the heart. And a, a, a discontent. Discontented heart. And then 14. Drunkenness. Drinking to excesses. Essentially, this is just escapism, isn't it? We don't want to face reality. It's easier to just uh, uh, depend upon uh, chemicals to make me feel good. Now, that, this is more than just drunkenness. It could be uh, drugs can do the, the same thing. We just don't want to face reality. We'd rather have chemically induced feeling good. We don't want to cope. And then the last one is carousing. Revelry. It's just a, a party lifestyle. That's the, that's the idea. And then he says things like these. And if you hold to these things, you will not enter the kingdom of God. That's pretty clear. Pretty stark. The flesh produces these things. They start out in the heart and, and then you just begin to see them in the flesh, in, in the way they live. And folks, this is where America is. This is, this is what you're beginning to see in society that we're just heading down this road. Laws, you can, pro- you can produce laws and they'll try to restrain the flesh a little bit. Police are out there trying to restrain the flesh a little bit. But that's all it is, is trying to restrain water. And that's hard to do. Um, you can do it to a certain degree. Self, self-discipline. You can dis- discipline the flesh. But even the most noble of hearts, the flesh is still going to rule. That's why we have to have a heart transformation. That's why God has to change the heart. If there's no faith in God, if there's, there's, then there's no pleasing of God. And folks, for society, unless there is salt and unless there is uh, light in this society, society is just going to continue to decay. That's why it's so important for us to be salt and light in this society. Slow down the decay of of society that we see in the flesh. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. So then we have to ask ourselves, we have to just stop and ask, do we still still live by the flesh? Are we driven? Is there a force within us that's just this sinful nature of of sinful passions and self-driving and, and it, it produces drama and chaos and confusion and, and carnage in the in its wake. We see the effect of this hurricane that just came through. It's amazing. Uh, the power of water. Uh, but what, what would you expect? I mean, water, that's what kind of damage that water does. And why should we be shocked about society, the decay of society, how quickly it, it can decay? Because the sinful nature is in every heart. 
The sinful nature is in every heart. But, now here's the good news. And here's where we have to evaluate as well. The fruit of the Spirit, he goes on to say in verse 22 and 20, uh, yeah, 21, 22. He says the fruit of the Spirit is, is love. This love or, or passion now for God and the things of God. And then joy, an undying, uh, 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 yeah, an undying hope. Despite the circumstances of life, then you have peace that passes all understanding. A, a patience that has the ability to endure till Christ come. And then you have kindness, this reaction. It's, it's just a reaction, a response to people when they're not kind to you. Or a, a reaction that glorifies God. Goodness, that's just a wholesomeness, a soundness. The Holy Spirit brings that, this this a fresh understanding of the way life should be lived and a, and a new way of thinking that produces wholesomeness in our life. It's a proper way of viewing life. And then faithfulness, a loyalty to God, gentleness, the ability to respond in grace when people are not gracious to you, gentleness. And then the last one is self-control, and I like this. This isn't self-effort necessarily. It's self, self-control, self-restraint. I'm going to restrain that, that flesh, that re- just the residual effects of the flesh. Well, why would we need that? We, we need this because this self-control is, is necessary in order to live by principles. Up to this point, up until the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our life, comes into our, our life, we're just living by the flesh. We do what we want to do until it's restrained, until we can't do what we want to do. But now we have the ability to discipline ourselves, to restrain the flesh, and to, to live by the principles we find in God's Word. And the Holy Spirit allows us that self-discipline. So you have two distinct things here. A sharp contrast. The flesh, a list of the Deeds of the flesh, a list of the fruits of the Spirit. Again, sharp contrast, miles apart, completely different. It's like standing on one side of the Grand Canyon, seeing the other side of the Grand Canyon. Just a, a great gulf there. Again, God has to change heart. It has to be a new capacity for that heart to love. And the Holy Spirit produces that. A verse that you need to be aware of, Romans chapter 8 passage that uh, I mentioned last week, and really, Romans chapter 8 would be an excellent passage to just evaluate, but Romans chapter 8, verse 9, however, you do not, you are, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, a genuine believer is going to have the Spirit in him, and he is in the flesh, indeed, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Wow. Because the, the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is taking up residence in your life, He's going to produce these things. And it's going to be different, distinct from the world. Now that's a sharp contrast. That, you know, that, that's a supernatural work. That's a miracle that, that the Lord produces in our heart. The Lord, only the Lord can take and change the nature of a pig. Only the, the Lord can uh, do supernatural things like salvation. He can change a heart. He can do those things. It would be like us trying to take a four-cylinder engine and turn it into an eight-cylinder engine. It just can't be done. You, you need a whole new engine. 
And that the Lord can produce godliness in such sinful people. That the Holy Spirit does that. We must examine our, ourselves for fruit. So we look at the mirror. Here's what God says. Here's what, and we look at the, we look at the Word of God, then we look at the mirror and see our life. Are we living by the fruit of the Spirit? Is, is that evident in our, in our life? And we have to be honest with ourselves. And we can't excuse it away or bad behavior on a person. Well, that's just the way I am. Personality, you know, you can't change personality. Foolish. You can blame it on culture, blame it on circumstances. We have to look at ourselves and say, what's going on here? And we have to be honest with ourselves. And if we just see that we're just trying to add, add Christ, add Christ or Christianity to our life in the flesh, that will never work. That's a false kind of Christianity. That will never work. Or, or if you're just trying to, well, I want to find out what Christianity is. I want to take all of the standards of what it is to be a Christian and be like a Christian. I just want to apply those to my life. No, no transformation. I just want to do it by force. And I'm going to try to be a Christian that way. That is not biblical Christianity, folks. You say, what do we do? Because we can't make God do this. What we see in Scripture, folks, is that we cry out to the Lord. But it's a natural thing. When you see your own sinfulness, when we look at the deeds of the flesh, I look and I read these things and I say, Oh Lord, I'm so much like the world. I'm so much like it. I don't want to be like this. And that's the struggle that we see Paul had in Romans chapter 8, isn't it? We cry out to the Lord in, in repentance and in faith. Oh Lord, change my heart. Oh Lord, make me a, a new person. That's the proper response. That's the proper response. Whether you are have not done that, or have done that, it's something we need to do all the time. Evaluate ourselves. We look at it every time we sin. We should go before the Lord in repentance and say, Oh Lord, change my heart. It's the heart of the sinner. The heart of the redeemed person has a desire to be right before the Lord. We desire to be changed it's a natural thing to look at our sin and cry out to the Lord. So the heart, heart, has a new capacity to love Christ, love, I'm sorry, love the Father, the things of the Lord. A dwelling Holy Spirit produces fruit. We begin to walk not like the flesh, like we used to walk. We begin to walk in the Spirit. It's producing these things in our life. Now those two things, those are the major change element major uh, miraculous shift, if you will. And all of the nine other things that we're going to look at come from those two things. That's why I've spent so much time on those two things. A love, a new heart, a love for God, and a holy in a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Number three. Number three. This is the third element. A test of, for assurance of salvation from answered prayer. From answered prayer. Now go back to our 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. 1 John chapter 5 verse 14. You'll see it on the screen. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we... I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 14. This is the confidence. Now there's our, our word again. The confidence which we have before him. This is a, a confidence, an assurance of our salvation 
confidence, which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Wow. That's a distinction that we have from the world. This is the confidence that which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. See, that's a little confusing. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. The key element, though, is assurance, confidence. We know we have we have confidence here that I I know if I pray to God, he answers my prayer. I'm on his side or he's on my side. He hears me. That's the, the most natural thing for the for a baby to cry, isn't it? That's what babies do, just instinctively. A new believer does the same thing. A new baby is dependent upon a mother, dependent upon milk, dependent upon an adult to, to feed that. So is a, a new Christian, and the new Christian cries out to the Lord. It's a natural thing. Oh, Lord, help me. And we cry out, as we heard earlier, Abba, Father. He is our, our Father. It's a natural thing for us to pray, to, to bring our requests before the Lord. You say, how does that translate into assurance? Well, to understand this, we need some basic elements of, of prayer. And I want you to turn over to John chapter 9. We need to understand a, a theology of, of prayer. John chapter 9 is the first point. Uh, this, is, this is just a wonder. Well, just follow me here. John chapter 9, this man... He was born blind. Jesus heals him. He is now able to see. And the scribes and the Pharisees just hate it. Because they're trying to get Jesus. And, and here he is. He's done this miracle. They can't explain it away. And this guy's out telling everybody. And they come to this guy and they say, they're kind of rebuking him. And here's his response. John chapter 9, John chapter 9, verse 30. The man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing. I love his attitude. You can see his attitude there. Let me school you guys. You guys don't get it, do you? You still don't get it. And yet he opened my eyes. um, Here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he opens my eyes. You guys are scribes and Pharisees. You guys know the law. And yet and he's done this and and you don't. I don't get it. Verse 31 you know that God does not hear sinners. Now, that's an important phrase there. God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does not His will, He hears Him since the beginning of time. It has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. He's probably done his research. This guy's a sharp guy. Nobody has been able to do this in the past, and yet... If this man were not from God, he could not do this. It's only God can do this thing. And they answered him, you, and they, boy, they don't like that response. So they answered him, you are born entirely in sin. You are, and you are teaching us. Just so condescending, such pride. And they put him out, put him out of the temple. That's the posture, folks. We come before the Lord. That's the element of prayer. We come before the Lord as as believers. God doesn't hear sinners. He, he has no obligation to hear a sinner. Doesn't want to hear the sinner. It doesn't hear any any of their words. Only the prayer of the repentance center, sinner. It, it, he will respond to. He doesn't hear 
the prayers of the unbeliever. We see in John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22, this kind of pulls it together. John, 1 John chapter 3 verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because he, we keep his commandments. We're no longer sinners. We're no longer unbelievers. We're, we're seeking after him. We, we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing to him. Now that's key. We have that connection with God. We understand now what pleases God. We have that connection. We pray consistently with that, what pleases God. And, and we ask the Lord. We ask the Lord. And He says, I'll hear you. I'll hear you. And, and that goes back to the promise, exactly what Jesus said. The promise in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. We need to be aware of this. This is so important. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says this, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. For any anyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. You pray to me in any way. I'll give it. God is a generous Father. For everyone who, in verse 9, Or what man is there among you, among uh, you, when his son asks him a loaf, does he give him a stone? Or if he asks of a fish, does he give him a, a snake? Will he? No, he doesn't do that. He says, if you then, being evil, that are still in your sinful nature, know how to, good, to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who seek Him? He's, he's, he's got His arms stretched out. And He says, ask anything in my will. Anything according to my name. Anything in, in my plan. And I'll give it to you. That's the, the, print, uh, that's the, uh, the promise. Look in John chapter 14 and verse 13. And we see the, the purpose. Why does he do this? Why is he so gracious to us? Chapter 13, I'm sorry, chapter 14 and verse 13. He says this, whatever you ask of me, this is Jesus. Whatever you ask of me in my name... That's consistent with everything that I stand for. That I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God wants to, to receive glory. And He will. He is so gracious. And when His children ask something, he, He's willing and, and able to, to give it. But here's the problem. In James, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, there's a couple of things. First is just unbelief. Verse 5, James chapter 1, verse 5. But if anyone, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproof or reproach, and it will be given to him, but he must ask in faith. That, that is belief, belief in God without, without any doubts. No writing defense here. For the one who is double-minded I'm sorry, one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is still in his sins. He is still doubting. He has not put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He shouldn't expect to receive anything. This unbeliever, verse 8, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. He is still an unbeliever. That's problem number one. We, we may be praying, and we're not even a believer. God has no, no responsibility to answer your prayer. Number two, we see in verse 
chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You're not asking for the glory of God. You're not asking to see God's kingdom expanded. You're asking for your, for your own motives here. It says you ask, but you don't receive because you, you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. Now, that's, that's the problem. So the unbeliever shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. But the believer, on the other hand, but the believer, on the other hand, he, he should expect great things from the Lord. Anything. And it's, and it's open. Um, and he does so with, with confidence. He can move forward to this promise-keeping God. And, and um, I, I love what uh, Matthew, uh, uh, Dr. Mayhew says. He says, the heart of God's people are strengthened and encouraged when their Father answers those prayers that glorify and benefit them. Isn't that great? That is so true. Isn't your heart strengthened when God answers your prayers? When you can look back and say, yeah, you know, I prayed for that and the Lord answered that prayer. And man, you're just encouraged. So we pray consistent with God's will, consistent with God's purpose. No merit of our own. It's only in Christ for Christ's glory. We ask from Him and and He gives it. It's amazing. We ask and He provides. That's confidence, folks. That's like Moses standing before the Red Sea, stretching out his, his rod, and the sea just parts. That's amazing. That's confidence. Now, do you, you know, you, I know the question in your mind. Does that mean God's going to answer every one of our prayers? Let me s- surprise you with the answer. The answer is yes. He's going to answer every one of your prayers. You may not like His answer, there may be a yes, there may be a no, there may be a, a wait. Let me change the circumstances in it a, a little bit. But there's going to be there's going to be an answer to your prayer. Now the key is is that we look for the answer to the God's prayer in the circumstances, don't we? In the how does it play out? And, and we can go whatever whatever we do, whatever we think, we could go forward with confidence, knowing that God hears us. That's the key. Because He is sovereign. He is in control of these things. If we pray, He's going to answer that prayer. It might be yes. It might be no. If it's yes, then we are assured. We have confidence. Yes, we move forward with confidence. But listen, if He says no, you know, we should have the same kind of confidence. Lord, I know you hear me. You've got something better in mind. And so we move forward. Christ, I mean, Paul prayed, Paul prayed, uh, three times. And the Lord told him, no. <laughs> Lord, could you do this? No, Paul. Lord, could you do this? No, Paul. Lord, could you do this? No, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. Go forward in, in confidence here. We rest assured that God is, is pleased to answer the prayers of His, of His children. He wants to do that. And He can do that. The, he could control the circumstances of our life. And maybe not, uh, he, he could answer yes or, or no, or just completely change the circumstances. And that's what happens with me a lot. Completely changes the circumstances where that prayer was just foolish prayer anyway. So, so uh, hap, uh, happens so often. Do you think Job prayed? Do you think Job prayed? First wave hits him. Robbers come in take everything he has. You think he prayed? Absolutely prayed. And then the second wave comes in. Lord, did you not hear my prayer? What's going on? 
No. I heard your prayer, Job. Just be patient, Job. Now, that's Job's attitude, actually. And what does Job say even at the end? He says, you know what? I brought nothing into this world. Can, can't take anything out of this world. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had confidence in the Lord. It didn't matter the answer to his prayer was yes or no. He had confidence in the Lord. Now, let me just apply this. Let me apply this. Number one, we have to ask the question, do we pray? Do we pray? If God has got a hold of our life, if there's a connection with God, if we have an actual relationship with God, then we will pray. We will cry out to the Lord. Sometimes prayers of repentance. But, but many times, requests. Requests. It's a natural thing for us to pray. It's not, do we pray, but how many times a day do we pray? Really, for the believer, if we can go days and if we can go weeks without praying, folks, we have to ask ourselves, are we even, are we even connected to, do we have any kind of fellowship with God? We have to be careful because believers will show their dependence on God by crying out. They move forward with confidence. Number two, I, I have to ask this question. What prayers can you point to that God has answered? Yes or no, can you point to, you know what, I, I prayed for that. The Lord said yes, and man, it reassured my heart. Or I prayed for that. The Lord said no, but you know what? It worked out. The Lord was gracious. Listen, that's the attitude. That's the confidence. That's the assurance that we have in our own heart. That the Lord hears us. That our Heavenly Father, who is in control of every molecule of this universe, hears us and He can control the cancer within our body. He can control the circum- He can control that st- stupid car. He can control the traffic. He can control so many little things in our life. He is in control. We can move forward knowing with the assurance in our own heart that God loves us. He is in control. And He is a good Heavenly Father. A good Heavenly Father. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for... Just allowing us to go through this portion of your word. Uh, Lord, as we, we look at these things, help us to genuinely, honestly look at our own heart and see, see evidence of your working. See evidence of your spirit changing us. Things that were, were not there before are, are now present, a love and a joy and a peace and a patience. And we're not living in the flesh anymore. Lord, let that assure our hearts. Let that give us confidence that we are in the faith, that we have a Heavenly Father that loves us, and that all things work together for for our good and for Your glory. Lord, help us to keep those things in mind this week. May we honor and glorify You. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.